Thank you for joining us on Community Focus this morning, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. Food insecurity is an ongoing concern for hundreds of thousands of residents, our neighbors, for the people whose incomes don't cover dinner every day or whose benefits don't cover enough food for their families, it can be incredibly difficult. And Feeding South Florida, the main food bank in the Quad County area, is always there with fresh food and even opportunities to learn how to work in the food industry. And to tell us all about it, I'm so happy to welcome back to the program the president and CEO of Feeding South Florida, Paco Velez. How are things at Feeding South Florida? Continue to be busy. Lots of families struggling, just as you mentioned in your intro. Dollars aren't stretching as far as they used to, and neither are those benefits, unfortunately. Is it correct that there are more first-timers needing assistance than we've had in quite a while? The first time we experienced an increase in first-timers was right at the start of the pandemic. When they closed everything down, folks had no job to go to and they were starting to get a little scared and didn't know how to navigate the system. That was the time we had the most amount of individuals without any kind of experience in the food insecurity realm. Now we're seeing a lot more families coming back just because, again, the dollar is just not stretching as far as it used to with rent prices, with food prices. Their benefits are running out or their dollar is just not buying the amount of food that it once used to buy. How is that impacting you? I mean, you and I have talked about how you've managed to stretch one dollar into nine meals. With all of the inflation and everything you just mentioned, is that impacting your ability to feed as many people with that same dollar? Well, we have dropped. That number has gone down to $1 for four meals. Our rent has gone up 40% here at the organization, but we still continue to work with our donors. The unfortunate piece is sometimes those donors don't have the amount of food that they used to just because either people are buying them up or just the food hasn't been there. We're doing everything that we can to work with our growers, our distribution centers, our retail outlets to bring in all that food and make sure families have food on the table no matter what day it is. You're very agile and able to pick up and make adjustments as you need. But again, with $1 now feeding four meals, which is still 25 cents for a real meal, real food, fresh food is still remarkable. So raising those dollars will be even more important than ever. So we've been pretty successful and we're excited and proud that our community supports us and continues to support us on a daily basis to ensure that we're putting food on the table for families. A lot of folks are looking for ways to get involved, ways to give back and ensure uh, families have what they need in order to thrive here in South Florida. And for those people who are struggling just to pay the bills, they have to think one step further to those who are actually having to make choices between which bills to pay and whether you're going to pay the electric bill or the rent or the car insurance, or are you going to feed your children? And that's literally what it comes down to. And unfortunately, the cycle sometimes spirals into homelessness because someone has given up paying something that makes it untenable to remain in their home and still feed their children. 100% correct, Ellen. And these are impossible choices to make. Roof over your head, utilities, water, fuel in the car to get to work, or food on the table. And many times that food on the table is the first to go. Ironically, food is the one thing of all of those things that you need in order to survive, but that's the first thing to go. So it's just unfortunate. And we know how that then impacts children in school. They can't learn. They can't think clearly if they're thinking about how hungry they are. 
One of the things that I love on your website, your vision is for a hunger-free South Florida in which families have transitioned from dependency to self-sufficiency. Is this possible? It is. It is very possible. We believe it's possible. And there's a couple of things. One, we want to make sure families have fair and equitable access to food, no matter where they live, no matter how much money they make. So fair and equitable access to food, that's our number one priority. The other part about reaching self-sufficiency, we have workforce training programs where we help families and individuals who are unemployed or underemployed, help them be more marketable in the workforce, get them the skills that they need in order to achieve a higher wage job. Anything over a living wage, more than $15 an hour, even up to $20 an hour. So our warehouse training program helps folks not just with the skills they need, but we help place them in some of those jobs with some of our corporate partners like Ryder, Publix, Winn-Dixie. And they do pay anywhere from $18 to $20 an hour just for an entry-level job in the warehouse. So those are the things that we're helping families with to ensure that they're making ends meet. I did want to get into, because we don't always talk about the specifics of how someone does get into your system and become a recipient of food when they need it. I know you have two locations where you have food distributions, but you also have a giant list of on-site places where you do food distributions. How can someone, if they're coming up across this for the first time, reach out to Feeding South Florida and say, I can't feed my family, what do I do? So the first thing, either go to our website, feedingsouthflorida.org, or give us a call, 954-518-1818. And we're happy to connect you either here with one of our choice pantries in either one of our facilities in Pembroke Park or Boynton Beach, or connect you with one of our partner agencies. We have an amazing network of over 300 different nonprofit organizations with whom we partner to help families with food and other benefits. Most of our partner agencies are choice pantries, which means families can walk in. They choose what they want to take based on cultural preference, based on religious restrictions, and based on medical restrictions. We want to make sure that families are taking what they want to eat and what they can eat and not taking anything that's going to make them sick or anything that goes against any of their religious activities. So we have an amazing network. We help those families with a pantry. You also help families navigate the federal benefit application process. So if families want to apply for federal benefits like SNAP or food stamps, Medicaid, long-term care, temporary cash assistance, or if they need a referral to WIC, we're here to help them. Most of our partner agencies and Feeding South Florida have a client management system. So we're able to see household or the family unit a little bit better, a little differently. We're able to see if it's a single parent head of household, whether it's a male or female, if they have certain needs or if the grandparent head of household and how we can address some of the needs from the older adults and the children to ensure that they have a solid foundation of support so that they can build their life on that foundation. You do so much more than just hand out food. Obviously, you have special people with special skills who can help people apply for all of those different benefits and work through the federal system, which can be a challenge in finding the information, filling out everything that they want to know and having all the paperwork ready. And I say that not to deter people from doing it, but to ensure that they know that there's help in putting it all together. Our team is very passionate, Ellen, and along with the skills necessary, they do have a heart to serve. And service is at the core of who we are and what we do, our number one core value. And that service is what drives us to continue to help families, continue to put food on the table, continue to help them navigate through these federal benefits and continue to create workforce training programs and place families in jobs that they most desperately need. Yeah. Now, during September, Hunger Action Month, you have one of your biggest events of the year, the third out of 
of three outrun hunger 5Ks that you do through the year. And this one is the West Palm Beach 5K. September 23rd, what can people expect? We're at Okahili Park in Palm Beach County. We're excited about it. We're asking anyone and everyone who wants to participate, whether it's to come out and run competitively, jog, roll, bring their pets, whatever it is. It's a great day to come out and just get outdoors and be with like-minded individuals and get to know nature a little bit more at the park. Mm. Uh, At the same time, you're providing food for so many families who are going without. Registration? Registrations are on our website. You can go to our website and register at any time. You can register on-site as part of our our run, but we have also shirts that people can purchase on-site. So there's different ways to help put food on the table for so many families. Okay. What is the difference between Hunger Awareness Month in May and Hunger Action Month in September? So May is more about summer hunger, and it's something that we have here in South Florida, specifically for South Florida. September Hunger Action Month is a national initiative created by Feeding America as a way to raise awareness about issue for all food insecurity and all hunger across the country. We ask everyone to participate and take action. Here locally, we have a campaign where we put out a challenge, find 30 ways in 30 days to raise awareness about the issue, whether you're wearing orange, whether you turn your website orange or just raise funds or bring a group in together to volunteer. So there's many different ways to get involved during September Hunger Action Month. What about volunteers? Do you need volunteers in the warehouse? We always are looking for volunteers. Our volunteer shifts are Tuesday through Saturday. We have two shifts a day. Uh, We can accommodate up to 100 people per shift. All are welcome. Go to our website and fill out the registration form. We do provide community service hours, so we can do that all electronically. We ask people to come out and be part of the solution uh, to help and hunger for our families. So go to our website, feedingsouthflorida.org, and find ways to volunteer here at the warehouse or at some of our events. And it will be one of the most gratifying things you do. Paco Velez, President and CEO of Feeding South Florida, congratulations on a dozen years of improving the lives of our community. We appreciate your efforts. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you so much. Even with fall just around the corner, this has been a brutal summer in South Florida. The heat has been not just kind of unbearable, but also dangerous with heat indexes in the 107 to 112 range, something that we're not quite accustomed to feeling. We certainly have it hotter here than in most other places, but this is a whole new world. And to tell us who is most at risk, what can happen when we're overheated, how to recognize symptoms and how to deal with it, I'm very happy to welcome, from a position you may not have known existed, Miami-Dade County's Chief Heat Officer, Jane Gilbert. (laughs) Welcome to the program, Jane. Ellen, it's a pleasure to be here. How did you manage to get that title of Chief Heat Officer? I love that. So we've always known, as you mentioned earlier, heat here in Miami and South Florida. We live in a subtropical, hot, humid area. And I had been working on environmental and climate change issues here in Miami for quite some time. I served as the city of Miami's first chief resilience officer, where we worked on an overall climate adaptation strategy. And, you know, we got into that work with seeing increased flooding on our streets. You mentioned earlier with with cars driving through it, you know, with our king tides, et cetera. And Miami and South Florida is known internationally for its vulnerability to sea level rise and flood risk. And extreme heat wasn't as prevalent on our radar as a response. But when I went out into our neighborhoods and spoke to people, 
actually their concerns about extreme heat came up a lot. And a group of community-based organizations did a series of surveys and focus groups in neighborhoods throughout Miami-Dade County and realized that actually extreme heat was their top concern as it related to climate change. And what we don't know is it's kind of a silent killer. We don't see it. It's not as visible as a hurricane ripping off a roof or a car driving through three feet of water. It it happens in people's homes, in in remote areas. And yet it is the number one weather-related killer in the United States, across the world, and here in South Florida. More than hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, forest fires, more than any of those. Some say more than any of those combined. Well, I'm accustomed to hearing about people, say, in Arizona, where it gets to 120 degrees and they say, oh, it's a dry heat. And like 120 degrees is 120 degrees. And people (laughs) literally die uh, if they don't have air conditioning. But I will tell you, I've been in South Florida since I was three years old, and it literally was not as hot when I was growing up as it is now. You're absolutely right. It isn't. It's actually our temperatures have risen. Yeah. An average since 1985, it's risen an average of a little over two degrees Fahrenheit. But what that results in, you mentioned that we... Arizona may have dry heat. We have wet heat, which is actually makes our heat index or feels like temperature much higher. So we've had 77 more days a year on average since 1970 of days with a heat index over 90 degrees when it starts to get dangerous for people to be exposed for a long time. And this year, we kept seeing days where the heat index was in the triple digits. It's just been, I mean, like they called it the summer of the broil. So you're absolutely right. It has gotten hotter. I've been here for 26 years. I feel like it's gotten hotter. I can tell. Summers are longer, they're yeah. a little more oppressive. <laughs> but I, I do attribute some of it to the fact that we built up all the condos on the water, so there's no yeah. breeze coming in. We yep. cut down tons of trees, partially for yep. hurricanes, but yep. also to build. And we got rid of a lot of parks and put in more concrete so the heat you rises. You hit the nail on the head. So a lot of people think we're getting increasing temperatures just because of climate change. We are because of climate change. But the other reason is how we're developing as a city, how we're developing as a community. More impervious pavements, less trees, dark building materials, all that absorb heat and make it create literal urban heat islands that can be over 15 degrees hotter than our rural areas. And I know, you know, you step under a tree and suddenly it's like, oh, I can breathe again. It's, right. And yeah, you even, can when, even when the temperatures are cool out, when you're in the direct sun, it is hot. Right. So with the heat on the rise and, you know, you were saying that 77 days out of the year, the heat index is over 90. But in summer, we've got heat indexes in the triple digits. Oh, actually, no. It's We've had a 77-day increase. Actually, we have over 154 oh. days Whoa. with a heat index over 90 now. Okay. And we're going to have, historically, this is going to continue to increase going forward. And projections are, we're going to go from having about 
about seven days a year where we get into very dangerous heat indexes of 105 or more to 88 or close to three months just in the next 30 years or so. This is really serious. The human body is not made to cope with these temperatures. I mean, the good news is, though, these are preventable. And that's really what the message I want to get out today is how to take care of yourself and your loved ones on hot days. Okay. What can we do? Where do we start and what temperature level do we start at? So heat index of 90 is really when if you're exposed for a long period of time, it can be dangerous. You need to think about hydration and that meaning water or a drink with electrolytes, not the heavy sugary drinks, not certainly not alcohol or caffeinated drinks, but water and drinks with electrolytes. You want it if you're exerting a lot of work or energy, either because you work outside or you're an athlete or your kids are playing outside, you need to think about breaks in a cool space, whether it's shade or inside an air-conditioned space and rest. Those are the most key things to take care of. And, and, you know, if you can, think about when you're spending your time outdoors. If you want to spend a day at the beach, you could go early in the morning or late, late afternoon as it gets cooler. That might also be a way to protect yourselves and your family. You know, it kind of goes along with the watering restrictions that we should only water the lawns. And the same advice that we've gotten from the Humane Society about walking your pets because it hurts their little paws. So again, mornings and evenings, and then we have to worry about the mosquitoes, but at least we have things we can wear long sleeve. Right. So there's always something. But getting back to the heat. Are there populations that are more vulnerable than others? Yes, I'm glad you asked. So there are some populations that are more vulnerable because they're exposed to heat more. So those would be like outdoor workers. Outdoor workers, if they're exerting a lot of energy, like an agricultural worker or like a roofer, they can be 35 times more likely to have a heat-related, severe heat-related illness than your average person. So they're very exposed people who are unhoused or homeless, people who can't afford their air conditioning. And then young kids. Kids are out in summer camps a lot. And so you need to, if you're a parent, you want to make sure the camp they're in is taking the heat seriously and taking care of the kids to make sure they get breaks and water, et cetera. And then elderly can be more sensitive people with pre-existing conditions. So we have very unreported heat-related illnesses because oftentimes a heart attack or kidney failure or stroke is induced by heat and it's not recorded that way. But people with heart conditions, with lung conditions, definitely people with diabetes are more sensitive to heat. Also, people on certain medications are more sensitive to heat. And then the last population I really want to talk about Mm -hmm. is pregnant women. So pregnant people are more sensitive to heat, but what's a double concern is that extreme heat exposure can create negative birth outcomes, can result in preterm births and other negative birth outcomes. So it's really important for those pregnant people out there to take care of themselves. And- take advantage of your nine months and let people pamper you. Yeah. you yes. know? Don't yes. feel like you have to be so tough and work up until the day before you give birth. It's okay and important, as we're finding out, to really take care of yourself. You don't want to put a child at risk, and you certainly don't want to put yourself as a mother-to-be at risk. Yes. What are some of the symptoms that we need to be concerned about? How do we know if we're just sweating a lot 
or if we're really yeah. getting to a point where we're in danger? Some of the early signs are muscle cramps. If you're getting muscle or stomach cramps, you need to slow down, stop, take a rest in a cool spot and drink some water. If you get a headache, start to feel dizzy, certainly. And then we get into stronger signs like nausea and um, passing out. And that's really heat and very heavy sweating and cool, clammy skin. That can be when you get into levels of heat exhaustion. And then it can be harder. If you're feeling nauseous, you can't force water. You can't force the drinking. What you do is do tiny sips and get cool. If a body's temperature, if an adult body's temperature gets over 104, a child's temperature gets over 105, actually, if the temperature starts to get over 103, it's a 911 call because that could be heat stroke and that could be fatal. And, you know, we think of fevers in terms of, oh, I have a cold, I have a fever. And we're accustomed to coping with a certain amount of fever, but it seems like it's different when it's heat related. Yeah, if your body's really when you get into heat stroke, it means your body's no longer able to regulate that heat. And it's just going straight in your body and you're increasing with the temperature. And that's when it gets very dangerous. Are there people who can't tell for whatever reason, don't have a sense of their bodies and how hot they're getting and may end up overheated or with heat stroke without having some of those symptoms? Well, certainly people with certain conditions, you know, with elderly, they may not be as conscious of what's happening to them. And people with certain mental illnesses may not think about it. Or certainly when I spoke to the emergency room doctor at Jackson, they see a lot of people who've been partying and they're not paying attention, right? right? Whether it's alcohol or recreational drugs and they're not drinking water along with it and they're not paying attention. So that can be a real risk. One of the things that we see on the TV medical shows, if someone is overheated, they have a high fever, they put them in a bathtub of ice. Is that a real thing that we should do? Yeah, yeah. Cooling down, taking claws and you want to loosen your clothes. You want to get wet clothes. We have these cooling towels that we give to our disaster volunteers that you can wet and put on the back of your neck. The evaporation of that water helps with the cooling. That's really what your body does when it sweats, is is it's cooling through the evaporation of the water on your skin. And the challenge with our humid environment is is that it doesn't work as well. In a dry climate, that works better. That's why we have, with the heat index, the feels like temperature feels higher. So let's say someone is experiencing this, and I'll tell you, I've had this I love tennis. I'm not a very good player, but I'll go out there. And <laughs> I'm at, with you. <laughs> right, right. And, and I reached a point somewhere where I started getting these horrible headaches and they turned into migraines. And I found that I could only, like we said before, play in the morning or in the evening because it's just too hot and I would not be able to function for the rest of the day. Yeah. So... Is it? I saw this happen with my son coming back from tennis one afternoon, and he was out of it. He wasn't thinking clearly. He'd clearly been sweating a lot. And I changed both the timing of his tennis, but also a bigger water bottle with electrolytes. I bought one of those big things of Gatorade and put right. it in, and that really helped him a right. lot. I did that. The other thing I did was I took a um, cooler and filled mm-hmm. it with ice and put mm-hmm. my water bottles in the ice. 
and my towel in the ice. Yeah. And the ice yeah. would melt into ice water. The towel would always be ice cold. And I would literally Perfect. pour bottles of water over my head to keep yeah. my head and neck cool. And that did make a difference. But, you know, I still have to be careful. Are there, you know, first thing I think of is, okay, let me take some ibuprofen or naproxen, something for a headache. Is that okay when you're at this level of extreme heat? That's a good question. I think the first thing, if you can hydrate, is that's going to give you the most relief to your headache, is that hydration. It wouldn't hurt to take an ibuprofen or Tylenol, but certainly my first advice would be to rehydrate as much as possible. Okay. And what can we do to help people who are having symptoms or if someone passes out? You already said 911 is the first call. In the interim, is there something that you can do as, okay? So, yeah, you want to get them to as cool a spot as is accessible to you at that moment, whether it's a shade or an air-conditioned spot. You want to loosen their clothes and get wet towels, cool down their body, particularly their hands, their back of their neck, their head. Those are places that if you lose heat, quickly that can help and just you know take their shoes off like any way to sort of allow for them to cool down it sounds like the flip side of when you're in the snow and they say keep your head warm that's the first right. thing exactly. and keep your appendages warm your fingers right. and toes so all right kind of the reverse for for all of our <laughs> folks who have come from new york to south florida just reverse the process <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay. good advice okay Is there anything else we need to know? Are there guidelines that you can provide on the Miami-Dade County website? Yeah, if anyone Googles Miami-Dade County Extreme Heat, you'll get to our website. It has much more information on how we're vulnerable, what people can do, etc. Okay. Is there anything else you want our audience to know? We need more trees and we need more cool areas. So support that in your neighborhoods for more trees, more cool roofs, more cool pavements, because that's going to help also. Well, I can tell you there's another Adopt-A-Tree event coming up next Saturday, the 23rd. And Dade County residents can get two free trees as long as supplies last. And we do have that information on our events listing. So you can check out our website for that. So at the minimum, if you can put trees around your house, obviously in safe places, not close to power lines, you know, not where it'll fall on your roof. There's so much to take into consideration. But what's wonderful is Miami-Dade County has done such an amazing job of covering every aspect of life in South Florida and everything we need to do to stay safe, no matter the circumstances, that pretty much you can go to miamidade.gov and just search on the website. You'll find almost anything that you need to know. But for this specifically, please take care of your family, take care of your kids, pregnant moms, stay indoors, enjoy the air conditioning. There are even services that will help you pay your bills if you're having trouble with the electric bill. Yes. Look for light bill assistance on Miami-Dade. We can help you with that as well. Awesome. And for more about this specifically, miamidade.gov slash heat. Chief Heat Officer, thank you for caring for our community and thank you for providing all of this great information. We'll put the links up to your website and all the recommendations that you just heard. Take them to heart because they can affect your heart, your head, your body, your life. Yes. Yes. Jane Gilbert. Thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure. Thank you. 
And now that we've talked about ways to keep yourself safe from the heat, I'm going to encourage you to go outdoors into the heat. We're coming into walk season. We hope temperatures will be dropping soon. But in the meantime, I want to give you a little bit of a rundown of what's coming up. Next weekend, the 23rd, is the Feeding South Florida Outrun Hunger 5K at Okihili Park in West Palm Beach. On Sunday the 24th, we have the 7th Annual Women's Breast and Heart Initiative Pink Walk at Miami-Dade College North Campus. October 7th, we're going to be joining NAMI Broward for their 5K. That's the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Very worthwhile walk to participate in. And on the 14th, it's the Susan G. Komen More Than Pink Walk. And there will probably be more events being added. We certainly hope you will come and join us. And you can find info about all of these on our events listing. Just go to our website. You'll find out what's happening. And thank you for listening to Community Focus this morning. If you have questions about today's show or would like to suggest a topic, please feel free to email me at ellen.jack. J-A-2-F-1-E at C-M-G dot com. You can also leave comments on our open mic feature on our app that you can download from the iTunes or App Store. We'd love to know what you think. And please join us again next Sunday for an all-new edition of Community Focus. Have a great day. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.